Welcome to Doni Ear Young, a nursing podcast. I'm your host, Beth Quass. In this show, I will interview nurses and nursing students in order for them to share their stories about the stresses and challenges of our profession, but also to share the unique opportunities for those looking for a new direction in nursing. To learn more about becoming a member to support the show or being a guest, please visit DoniEarYoung.com. You can also reach me in my Facebook group, Doni Ear Young. And now on to today's episode. I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome, everyone. Today we have Katie Walker on the show. She's been a nurse for many years. She's been a CRNA for the past 10 years. And today she's going to talk to us a little bit about what she's been doing and how she's here to help the mental health population. Welcome, Katie. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Thanks for having me, Beth. Um, So my name is Katie Walker, as Beth mentioned. I um, have been a nurse for several years. I got my degree actually in 2005, working primarily in the state of Tennessee, but then I also did my anesthesia training in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, Prior to that, though, I worked as a travel nurse in um, California and then also in uh, Kentucky to where I kind of got, you know, the different uh, dynamics of the medical system. of the inpatient world to where I really felt like I was a pretty good professional, uh, you know, acting as a house supervisor and shift leader and such like that with different departments um, to where, you know, once the anesthesia aspect really kicked in um, to where I was doing more of the anesthesia, it was interesting because I would go to, you know, five different hospitals, do the specialties there with, um, you know, neuro, cardiac, uh, obstetrics and such. But I was really able to see, you know, the dynamics of the hospital system um, to where, yes, from the anesthesia perspective, we do have a great job um, to where, you know, we have a lot of influence. We have, um, you know, just deal with high acuity aspects and we really provide just a great piece to the team in, in the inpatient aspect. But what I started seeing, um, I actually ran across a, a ketamine article back in probably 2016 uh, to where they were really talking about the evidence-based medicine of how ketamine was really helping um, the mental health population, not more so from a suppression of symptoms, but actually to where it was breaking the cycle of what the brain was doing. So it really intrigued me with that, um, just really seeing, you know, is, is there something actually in mental health to where we can actually step up to the plate? Instead of giving medications to suppress symptoms, but more so to give them to break the cycle of what the brain's doing, you know, much more on like a a chemotherapeutic approach. So in 2018, I actually opened um, Revitalist Clinic in Knoxville, Tennessee, uh, with another CRNA that we worked in the hospital, uh, you know, full time together, we both actually ended up leaving the hospital system and really focused, you know, more so on um, the conditions that we were able to treat with ketamine. So a lot of those conditions primarily are the treatment resistant aspect, but we more so focus on treatment resistant with um, mental health and pain conditions, which, you know, as we all know um, from a nursing and from a mental health perspective or from the nursing, from an anesthetic perspective, um, Complex mental health and complex pain conditions are a large quantity of what we deal with in the hospital. So since 2018, I've been working at the clinic here in um, Knoxville, and we've really 
have brought in, you know, of course, the medical skills that we have, the comprehensive knowledge that we have as, as nurses. But then we've also started working with therapists in more of a team-like model to where we've really integrated the, the medicine, the traditional medicine and the mental health world to where we're really able to make a, you know, a big punch um, in this system to where we're able to address conditions that other providers just haven't been able to do yet. So it's super exciting um, for, you know, the the medical world, absolutely, but it's super exciting for the nursing aspect as well because I always have felt that there are skills that we have as nurses that we have not always been able to hone in on. And this right here maximizes our capability, which is super exciting. I love what you're doing and I love that you're working with, um, like we talked about, uh, mental health NPs and other nursing types in your practice. And so you're really making it uh, we know nursing is so holistic and you're really making it more than just treating one thing when patients come in. Right. And that's one thing. So like at the clinics that we have, um, you know, we, we there's actually there's studies coming out on environments called enriched environments to where we all the time get people that will say so our, our clinics more still look like a spa environment because, you know, as you know, a lot of people, when they go into the hospital, they just get anxiety, right? The white coat syndrome. We still give white coat syndromes to people. And I'll, and I'll make a joke of it. And I'll say, you know, it doesn't matter what I do. You're still going to get white coat syndrome talking to me. But, you know, but but they're sitting in an enriched environment to where it's soothing, you know, and, and they don't feel like they are um, being judged. And, and that's one thing, you know, that they always get hesitant when I say, you know, your, your brain's functioning normally. It's just gotten off track. So let's figure out how we get it back on track. And what that does to them as a person is that that treats them as the individual that they are and not as a number or not as a, um, you know, they, they don't feel like they're being institutionalized. And that's why a lot of people have told me, you know, when they walk in here, they walk in here because they feel respected. And that's one thing from the nursing perspective. Um, and, and two, if you look at society in general right now, um, we're a very heightened society with emotions. We're very finger pointing as you could do better. You could do better. You could do better. Um, but we've really lost that generalized respect for each other. And, and I think that mental health, especially, um, you know, because like there was a, an anesthesiologist at the hospital that I worked at who told me, you know, oh, that's fine. You know, why don't you go do ketamine? That's taboo medicine, you know. And then that way, you know, you can just help, you know, you know, people who get in mental health, they're just there to work on their own mental health. Right. And, and you know, and, and I think it's interesting that, you know, because that's, that's the common out. It's a common knowledge, you know, as we all know. But it's it's, you know, what I talk to about here. And, you know, I actually have a neurologic. We're working on a neurologic team as well for like research development. I have a neurosurgeon that's coming on board to help to say this is really neurologic right i mean so so there's so many different pathways to this to where in medicine we don't we don't know how to look at the brain right so when we don't know how to look at it we say it's not real well now fortunately ketamine is able to document a lot of this stuff so we have mris and pet scans um they've actually have isolated the inflammatory protein you know in, in the lab draw to where if we can quantize mental illness, then it's going to be real. And I really think that this clinic can do that and push forward with a very strong nursing to where we can deal with a high acuity outpatient type setting. But then also, you know, we really focus on, let's focus on the neurologic aspect of this. How are we hitting the brain? Because, you know, a lot of the medications out there, the oral medications, they still don't know how they work. 
you know, and unfortunately, it's the same way with anesthesia, you know, in school when they were like, well, we've not tested them on the brain, but we've tested them on the lungs to see what we think they're doing in the brain. Um, you know, ketamine, completely accidental discovery by Yale University back in the late 1990s. They were trying to make rodents schizophrenic and treat schizophrenia. Well, lo and behold, they recognized that these little guys were actually becoming less depressed. So that, you know, it was a chain reaction of, oh, my God, this is real, guys. You know, we can document it. So it's super exciting. Um, I think nurses, you know, in general, it's going to be really, really good for us to get in this space because, you know, with if you look at so the term psychedelics is going to become much more common. They expect it to be about a $10 billion market over the next 10 years. Um, so we're all going to hear more about psychedelics. But then, you know, with the ketamine aspect, it's one of those things to where we're able to sit down, we're able to empathize, we're able to use the skill set that we have as nurses to where, you know, if we do need to turn it up a notch, you know, to, you know, support, you know, their, their, their overall, you know, just general vital signs and things like that. We have that ability, but we don't necessarily have to use it here. But, but do we want to have that under our belt? Absolutely. You know, but then too, you know, we're able to help that person still feel like a person, but then also to have that medical aspect. So like um, my husband's a surgeon and um, he was talking about, you know, CRNAs are the best for this working in a very strong nursing environment because, you know, we, we do. And that's what I'll tell people. People have no idea what a CRNA is. Right. So I, I feel like I'm the first gopher sticking my hole out of the head sometimes. Um, but, you know, when I tell them about CRNAs, I say, you know, OK, the reason you don't see us a lot in the hospital is someone's dying and anesthesia walks in. Everyone walks out kind of thing. Like we feel very, very comfortable. I'm like, if they're too normal, if they're too stable, we're uncomfortable, right? So, so we, this is actually, you know, we'll, we'll thrive in this environment because the acuity, and as I you know, I've had conversations like this before, the acuity of the community right now in the outpatient setting is very high to where sometimes I would say that the brain is almost in failure, you know? So, so if you're, if you're saying that, you know, so we can look at, you know, lung, kidney, uh, whatever failure, we can quantitize that in a, in a setting and say, yeah, you know, they're, they're, they're in respiratory failure or they're, in, you know, they're in renal failure um, to where, you know, they're not going to have that much longer to live. The brain, unfortunately, we've always looked at it just as being an, an eccentric model that nobody has control over to where what we're seeing with this is we're actually seeing very predictable patterns that the brain is doing to where hopefully one day we can say, Oh, we caught your mental ill. We caught it early. And and this is the intervention that we have, you know, to do with this, because right now we can't like we, we, we just don't nobody understands it. You know, they, they don't understand if depression comes up and a paranoid schizophrenia and people who are paranoid schizos, they're usually more towards the latter end of their mental illness, but they're not sure why. Right. So so all this stuff that's coming up, you know, we're going to be able to not only as nurses to use the empathetic aspect that we have. But also that core, and I hate to say this word, I, I, don't, I don't know why this word would even come to my mind and every nurse out there is going to hear me when I say this, but um, those care plans that they made us do um, that we just hated, which are true kind of thing. We're not treating a diagnosis here. We're treating the person and the underlying conditions that are going to give them a better quality of life. So unfortunately, those care plans may have had some type of um, 
value to them. I'm sure every professor is out there listening to this is probably don't just the care plans. And every nurse is out there saying, oh, please, let's not relive that again. Right. (laughs) Right. Completely. (laughs) Well, we know that mental health patients um, are typically not as healthy. They don't get the care that they, that a lot of other patients do. Mm -hmm. I used to do a lot of electroconvulsive therapy in the practice that I was in. And those patients, for as often as they would see a provider, they were not healthy. They were not optimized for what they were there for. And I'm sure you're seeing that as well in your patients that are coming into the clinic. Yes. And, you know, and we do, we actually do have, and I, I helped with them um, with anesthesia aspects with ECT as well. But um, we do have patients here that have failed ECT um, that come for ketamine and they actually do, they typically always do better with ketamine. So um, the, there was a study that came out recently, I think with EC, ECT saying that it decreased the cognitive function afterwards. Um, what I have seen the most of with ECT versus ketamine. So ketamine's actually been proven to stimulate new growth in the brain um, to where, you know, maybe when we get older, you know, the atrophy that we see on scans of our brain, maybe that's just because it's been duplicating, you know, damaged pathways that's made our brain smaller to where maybe we can be more, you know, um, forward pushing with the brain health to where the brain actually is healthier as we get older and we don't have smaller brains. Um, but, um, but, you know, but the, the thing about with all of the um, ECT aspects versus the ketamine aspects is from what I have seen, and this is just my personal experience. I don't know, you know, all the statistical data out there. They are told that there's a loss of a very low chance of loss of memory uh, with ECT. A hundred percent of the clients that I have seen here have lost significant amounts of their memory. Um, one person actually lost a child and she has no memory of him at all. And he was 17 years old. And that actually stimulated her depression more. With ketamine, we can help support that client with, you know, anesthesia providers and therapists. And, you know, there's a team model that we can help support with. With ECT, they go home and that they really have to have a um, family member or a friend that they really authentically trust because there's about 48 hours that they're not non-functional. And this is just what I've been told from, from clients who say, you know, and then they go in and, you know, and there's a certain shame involved. So um, a lady who's actually um, her husband's a police officer and he's, he's very proactive in mental health, but she said, you know, when I come to the to revitalist here to receive ketamine, when I leave, I feel like I just went to the gym. Like, I feel like I just did sometimes something good for my mental health. She said when she was going in for ECT at the hospital, when people would be like, you know, she said, I'd run into somebody who's having surgery that day. And they say, oh, why are you here? And she said, well, I'm here for ECT. And she goes, and it would just start my whole chain of depression again, because, you know, I, I feel so isolated, you know, with all this aspect. So, so there's really a big piece there um, with ECT versus ketamine. I understand, you know, ECT, they're using lower voltage to where hopefully it doesn't help, you know, with the long-term memory loss and stuff. But I think ECT has a longer way to go. But the nice thing with ketamine too is it's not nearly as invasive um, as ECT is. Um, and, you know, and, and the cost effectiveness of it, you know, is, is a lot better too. So um, I know there's a lot of studies out there comparing the two. Um, it honestly looks like ketamine's going to, to win, uh, even with the, with the symptom suppression aspects as well. Um, but, you know, but just even the cognitive. So, I mean, if you get, if you get, if you're depressed enough and you get ECT and, and your cognitive function goes down afterwards, me personally, that would probably make me feel more depressed about myself because now, now what, right? So with ketamine infusions, we're actually able, people are going back to work. 
Um, they're living better lifestyles. They're working out like they feel like themselves for the first time after 15 years. So I, it's super exciting. And we have that, you know, from my generation, I'm a bit older, but that stigma of ECTs, shock therapy is what ECTs are for those that may not know that. Um, but one flew over the cuckoo's nest and there was a scene there with ECTs. And of course, it looks very violent. And um, so some people may just equate ECTs to that, which gives it a stigma all upon itself. But when you talk about ketamine, how, how is the treatment course for those patients? Is it long-term? Is it short-term? So, so, right. So um, there's an induction period with that um, to where, you know, with the, with the mood. So they've proven that mood, chronic mood leads to chronic pain, chronic pain leads to chronic mood. Um, And it's a certain part of the brain to where they actually have direct correlation in the brain. So um, with either or there is an induction period recommendation. So what you're trying to do is you're trying to stimulate such new growth in the brain that you're breaking the cycle of what the brain knows per se. Um, so what they recommend with the mood aspects, they typically recommend six infusions over the course of two to three weeks. And it depends on what is your presenting mental health condition. And then also what's your history, right? So we intake take all of that to where, you know, if there is a lot of trauma involved, sometimes the traumas do actually much better. Um, six infusions over three weeks. Um, if it's a lot of depression involved, those do much better over the course of two weeks. With the pain aspects, those are, so they've proven you know that the mood aspects are more centrally located um, as they duplicate. They kind of go out to your pain fibers and to your dermatone regions to where, you know, they're more local, um, you know, locally found, you know, in the, in the arms, legs, things like that. Um, so with those uh, pains are actually much more. Um, oh, you, you want to be much more aggressive with pain um, because you're not you're trying to, you know, uh, break the aspects of, you know, where the pain's coming from, the C fibers and the B fibers and the alpha fibers and things like that to where you really want to try to, to break the pain signals that's coming from those myelinated fibers in order to completely break. We want to go to the mouth of the Nile and redirect the river as to what's going on. So with pain, those typically are five, um, five days of infusions. But after that, they're done kind of thing. They don't need to do as long as they continue to maintain their wellness aspect, then they're finished to where they don't need to come back and do another induction cycle. So they then fall into a maintenance category. Maintenance wise, they can come in as needed. Um, That might be, you know, once every six months, once every year, once every two months, like everyone's different. And that's what we have to work on as well, which again is where nursing comes in is we don't say, I need you to take one ketamine infusion a month for the rest of your life. We don't say that because we we get them to do mood scales, right? We'll send them a text every day. Hey, how you doing? Zero, bad, 10, good. They text that in and it will send it back to where it objectifies the, um, the mood aspect for us to where we have consistent communication in the outpatient environment. Um, But what I'll tell them is like, you know, kind of the rule of threes. I'm like, you know, use the rule of threes when you need to come back. Because usually when they leave here, they'll say, I feel more laid back and I feel more empowered in who I am. So we're not trying to change them. We're trying to get them to understand what their brain's doing because it's achievable, right? We're seeing that. Um, If they can understand it and the brain's like, oh, okay, you're hearing me. I'm going to neutralize this. And that's the whole thing about talk therapy too, to where talk therapy um, helps to integrate. They're trying to find the polarities of the aspect of what the thought process is and they help to integrate it. Once they help to integrate it, that neutralizes it. So talk therapists have been doing this forever. It's just, they have to go up through a huge barrier. So what we're doing with these clients is we're saying, 
You come back when you feel like you need to come back. If you're in situations that you didn't feel like, you know, maybe you didn't handle that the best, but you did so, I did so good. And I'll we'll come back. I did so good for four months. And then I had like, my dog died, my dad died. And, you know, and, and you'll see all these, you know, consistent problems. And they're like, and then I was like, I, I was like, oh gosh, like, I feel like I need to go back. And I'm like, okay, good. Then you call us, we'll help you. We're not going to give you an infusion if we're like, no, I mean, you look great. There's no reason to give you an infusion, you know, but too, you know, it's more so the people learning about their emotional insight, uh, their emotional intelligence, you know, learning the conditions of their performance. Like, how am I doing? Am I doing better at school? Am I doing better at work? Like, how am I doing? Right. So this is going against all the grain of the mental health world, because right now, you know, a lot of clients are being told mental health is out of your control. It's genetics. There's nothing you can do about it. And we're just going to put you on these medicines. And you're going to be fine the rest of your life. You just take them every day. So we get people in here who are on like 20 medicines. And I'm like, how do you feel? And they're like, not good. I'm like, how, how come? I don't know. You know, kind of thing. So I'm like, so we're trying to push some type of, you know, emotional intelligence because the people who've been in therapy for years, they do so much better with ketamine. Um, we do have therapists here that actually sit in the infusions with the clients to where when they, they're awake with these infusions, they have a mild disassociation to where honestly, We've not seen that in the anesthetic world. Uh, not typically. We don't see that. But but we, we push them to get to a mild um, anesthetic where they're, they're talking, but they just feel different. They say it's like true serum for their soul um, kind of thing to where all the barriers come down and whatever your brain's struggling with, here it is kind of thing. But you're not, they're not emotionally connected to it. It's just objective. That is so interesting. Oh, it's, it's fascinating. It really is. But they're able to talk about um, themselves like they're watching it on the news. So it's like the most effective talk therapy ever. The other very interesting thing that you brought up was, you know, your your clients look like they don't need anything. And you have a very unique take on your clients and who really needs this. And we talked a little bit about it before, but talk about what you call minorities for your for who you're seeing. Yeah, no, absolutely. I love this conversation. So so as we know, there's a lot of heightened um, you know, emotions with society right now. But but what this clinic and what we're working on is we are working on focusing on the minority groups that may not be your typical definition of minorities um, to where we want we help a lot with active duty police officers, um, teachers, uh, all your frontline servicemen um, that are out there doing a community service. Your your even your your anesthesia providers, your physicians whose suicide rates are higher than anybody out there right now. Your veterinarians, um, I you know these are things that I just I never realized with all this stuff. Your veterinarians, your psychiatrists, um, everyone who's giving a little piece of themselves to help the community, and the community looks at them and more so as machines, what we want to do is we want to focus on those groups that are being, un- they're, they're underserved groups, making them a minority group, but even athletes. So like we are really focusing a lot on the athletic world. Um, we are, we actually have started an athletic advisory board to where we're going to help, you know, not only, you know, not only kids, you know, growing up, but then also, you know, the university sports, the professional sports and such, because opioids are really a big, their crisis um, in the professional um, sports arena. And then also, you know, mental health. I mean, uh, we hear a little bit about mental health with athletes, not too much, um, but, you know, like there was a, a recently, there was a major league baseball player who was, who, who disappeared, who ended up being homeless. Right. Um, 
they found him on the streets. Um, there was a recent um, overdose who was a professional football player that they found at a hotel. Um, so apparently this is becoming much more common and no one knows how to deal with athletes. Right. It's interesting because I'm like, is this not common knowledge? Like, because I feel like this is a nursing thing. It's like therapists may be speaking to an athlete and if you're talking to an athlete, you don't say, oh, you're right. You have every right to feel that way. You don't say that. Athletes don't function that way. So what with athletes, you know, you say, okay, this is what I need you to do. I need you to disconnect from this. I need you to focus on this and let's focus on this. You do this and then and then let's, re- let's reassess and see how it does. Because athletes, we just get so overwhelmed with stuff sometimes. We're just not sure where to start or I'm not ever going to be able to, to be that good anyway. So they have to be directed more. So with the minority aspect of what we talk about, we need to set up systems that speak to people based on their need. Okay. So if you're, you can't talk to a pediatric the same way that you would talk to a 47 year old teacher and vice versa. Teachers need to be spoken to a certain way because there's a certain type of, you know, vocabulary response that they respond to better. Um, you know, even investors, I wouldn't necessarily know how to specifically speak to an investor based upon their, it's their environment, right? To where when they come in, we need to be aware of how to speak to them on a level that they'll respond to. And that's what I've kind of seen with a lot of our, like our active duty police officers, you know, fortunately CRNAs, I mean, in general, CRNAs are pretty good at speaking to pretty much anybody, but, you know, athletes, um, military police officers, especially CRNAs get that kind of thing. That's just the personality, you know, that's, that's very similar um, to where we, we understand that. But what we want to do is we want to bring in specific people that are able to talk to this person that's based on their environment and what they know, even the cultural aspects. You know, if I get um, somebody coming in from, you know, Kenya, versus somebody coming in from Alabama, I need to know how to speak to them to where they hear me the most for their sake. And and, and that's one thing that we really want to be is we really want to be a huge, diverse, inclusive population to where we're not making people see, well, this is the way I've been trained. And this I know this works. Uh, we're more so saying, OK, tell me what's wrong. Why? How did this come about? You know, because they're they're looking at also they're looking at things called um, an ACE scale, which is an adverse childhood experience. We actually do that on a lot of our clients. And it shows, you know, that our childhoods growing up have a huge impact on how we are, you know, 50 years later. Um, so that's really what we want to do is we want to really make Revitalist an inclusive, diverse welcoming environment that's able to specifically help that person's needs. Uh, We don't want to group it, you know, kind of thing um, to where one size fits all because it doesn't. But also with Revitalist, we want to have a standard of care that's transparent. So if people don't know, I say this because I had no idea about this, but when people are really struggling with mental health, the two places they get told to go are either the ER or inpatient psychiatric cares. An ER is going to handle differently what the inpatient psychiatric care handles. And, you know, and the one in Tennessee may be different than the one in Kentucky or the one from this city may be different from the other one in, the, in a, an additional city. What we want to do with the revitalist aspect is to bring more of that traditional sense of medicine to where when you're struggling, you can come here and this is what you're expected to get kind of thing to where, you know, if, 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 if I'm working with an open heart surgeon and heart surgery, the surgeon's not going to say, 
well, today I feel like I should probably do it this way. No, they have a very succinct style of this is exactly what I do because this is the standard of care of how you handle open heart surgery. That's what we want to do with mental health, where when these people feel weak and and I'm sorry, like when people want to kill themselves, they're struggling with so they're so overwhelmed and they're struggling with so much. The last thing that they need to do is to troubleshoot. Where do I go? How do I go? wonder what they're going to do. How are they going to handle me kind of thing? And, and, and therapists, you know, there's a very broad range of therapists out there um, to where, you know, when you go to a therapist, I always feel like when you go to a therapist, like they're there to support you, right? That's what they're supposed to do. Different therapists actually have different thought processes to where, you know, they, you may walk into a therapist who you, you're expecting just to help you. Well, they may be, they may be trained specifically in, you know, different types of therapy, CBT, DBT, EMDR, you know, these types of therapy, which is not common knowledge to society. A therapist is a therapist, you know, kind of thing. So, but then too, there's a lot of therapists out there, they're licensed, but they may be practicing with a certain technique that's not consistent with the standards just because they believe that this might be beneficial. Um, so that's kind of what we want to do is we want to, we want to take this eclectic aspect of care, put nurses in the forefront with it, collaborating with all these physicians out there and not only to help the clients, but then also to help our society right now, because the physicians, you know, there's six to nine month wait sometimes to get in with a neurologist. Um, You know, there's three to six months to get in with a therapist. There's six months to get in with a psychiatrist. And, and, you know, and I, and I see some of these people right now and they're trying to limit care. I'm like, wait a minute. (laughs) like I don't think it could be limited much more um, because, you know, you can't wait a year to go see somebody, um, you know, for these things to where, you know, if we're able to help to take off some of the burden from the psychiatrist and the neurologist and even the VA system, if we're able to help take off some of that burden, then we're not only helping the clients in the community, we're also helping our, you know, our colleagues um, to where we all can stay healthier kind of thing. Um, so that's, you know, we, we do collaborate with any type of specialty out there. Um, they send us their clients. We get them to fill out a release of information. We send them um, back uh, material that actually says, this is what we did. Here's how they did, you know, to where we're expanding that outpatient care team, which again, doesn't exist. There's not an outpatient care team right now. So this is really a big piece that nurses can help lead because we're so good in working with a multi-level specialties. Like you, you can't take a nurse that's only worked been like, you know, oh, I've never, I've, on, I've only worked with, with a, this pediatrician and, and I don't know how to speak to anybody else. No, nurses know how to speak to everybody out there because that's just the way that we were trained. All those communication courses, again, that were just didn't matter. Um, they actually do matter now. They do matter. And what you're doing screams nursing. This is such, it comes from such a nursing background. And this is what I want nurses to understand. What you went through to become a nurse, every little piece of it helped. Every little piece of it is going to help you moving forward, no matter what you want to do. If you want to work in a hospital, if you want to go out and form your own business, every piece of knowledge that you have is going to benefit you. And I applaud you for what you're doing. And I know you're doing great things for your patients. And I know you're in the future going to expand your business, which is only going to reach more people and help more people. 
Where do people find you now? Uh, right now, we're in Knoxville, Tennessee, and we are soon going to be opening up a location in Johnson City, Tennessee, um, a location in one of the suburbs of Detroit, Michigan, and then also Bethesda, Maryland, and Louisville, Kentucky, and also Durham, Durham, North Carolina. So we have a lot of um, the nursing aspects that are already stepping up that are excited to get on this journey. Oh, I think it's just amazing. So what advice or tips would you have for nurses out there today? One of the biggest pieces, is, you know, is, um, you know, because I started working in the hospital, I think when I was 16 years old is to, you know, when people make you feel a certain way about yourself in the hospital to always kind of remember that um, because, you know, the last thing that you want is to make someone else feel a way that that someone made you feel in more of a negative aspect. Um, I think nurses are one of the strongest um, professions out there. Um, they're, they're so multifaceted. I just don't think that people all the time can really see the strength of all the different venues that we have, nor do, nor did, did I see any of this, you know, uh, you know, I, I mean, I, I, I heard it, I understood it, but now seeing this in the outpatient care setting, there's no comparison to the skill set that we have. Um, so, you know, it's one of those things to where respect each other as nurses. Um, you know, we, we all have had to um, understand, you know, the, um, the critical care thinking. Um, also, you know, as we all have probably felt, you know, with nursing, you know, one, I'm a female, two, I'm a nurse, right? So, so society in general views that as two weaknesses per se. Um, but right now, you know, I'm learning like, wait a minute. All these people that I'm talking to, you know, with the expansion of the business that have, you know, huge reputations, they don't have this. Like they don't have this skill set, you know, kind of thing to where it's really exciting because I really think as we're evolving, um, I think nurses are going to be able to step up to the plate. And maybe now is the time. And who knows? Maybe 2021, 2022 will be the year of the nurse um, because, you know, we do have these episodes. Epidemics. We do have COVID. Uh, we've got mental health crises. We've got opioid crisis, and it's not localized, guys. I mean, this is global, you know, kind of thing. And, and one of the neat thing about it is there's more nurses than any other profession in the entire world. Um, you know, a lot of us are burnt out, or we don't work or anything else like that. So we have a huge body um, to where you know when we stand together we can push forward. So, you know, one thing I would say, you know, as you know, the, the younger nurses are coming up, you know, and, and they hear, you know, a lot of the data, a lot of the material, a lot of the changing, hear that, you know, what, what, what you, what you see and what you understand, but then also always look at the, the older nurses, they've earned it. Right. So, so, you know, there's a lot more um, material at our fingertips right now, but fortunately for us, we didn't have to go to the library late nights to, to look up this material to where they did, right? So, so you know, there's a lot of different things there to where there's such a huge significance of wisdom that, you know, the older nurses may have that have been doing this for such a long period of time that the younger group does not have to where one thing we want to do is to recognize those strengths and weaknesses that each party possesses. And the weaknesses aspect, you know, is the younger nurses, yeah, you know, we do have a lot of material, yes, but also you know, we may not know how to handle this complex situation that comes up to where, you know, the older nurses, you know, maybe they don't have it. They don't know how to work the Internet as well as the younger ones, but they do know how to go in headstrong, you know, with a complex situation to where, you know, if we can look at each other, ask to see how we can complement each other to where we can move forward in a very strong fashion, I think 
this is going to be a world changing thing. And right now, you know, with the, with the pandemic and everything else going on, we clearly have a broken medical system. It needs to be fixed. And I really think right now is the opportunity to do this. I think right now we can push forward very strong with this and have a very strong um, nursing presence in the outpatient world to where we can change it. No one can effectively argue with us because they don't understand it. I completely agree. We take it from the start and we end it at the end and we have that ability. Absolutely. And I do have to say, you know, this podcast is called Don't Eat Your Young because that's what we've all heard in nursing. But it's it's so much more than that. It's also the young don't eat your old because I've seen the reverse happen to um, younger people come in and they're all new and shiny. And you're right. They do know technology probably better than some of us older people. And it's all it's all based on experience. You know what I don't know in technology, I certainly knew, know what to do um, in critical times. And so it's so important that you brought up we need to respect each other and all work together and move forward because I think that's what's going to strengthen our profession as well. Absolutely. I thank you so much for coming on today, Katie. You have given us so much information and I, I applaud you for what you're doing. Uh, there is such a need for mental health right now and I'm, you're just the tip of the iceberg and I can't wait to see how things grow for you. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate it and thank you for having me on. to thank Katie Walker for being on the show today. What amazing work she is doing for the mental health community and the people that she's looking at helping are not the traditional mental health patients that we all sometimes think about, but nurses just like us, uh, police officers, veterans, athletes, people that probably need the help that we don't even realize. So thanks to Katie Walker for her work. Some things that she left us with, um, remember how people made you feel when you were maybe in a vulnerable state or when you were a young nurse and make sure that you have learned from that and don't use that negativity towards other people. We can all respect each other and that's the best way for our profession to move forward. And our multifaceted profession is very strong. We all need to work together to keep it that way. Thank you all so much for listening today. Um, I appreciate your time. If you feel like sharing this with someone that uh, may need to hear it, please do so. If you'd like to learn more about the show or become a member, please go to don'teatyouryoung.com and you can always find me on my Facebook group, Don't Eat Your Young. Thanks for being here. Have a great day. Come alive, this is your